Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to and so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. Canadian Blood Services still won't accept blood from immigrants from certain countries. I just found out about that after reading The Ethnic Isle. A blog made amongst friends in 2011 is now a Patreon-funded publication that covers race, ethnicity, and identity in the GTA. The topics the mainstream media either doesn't or can't cover, Ethnic Isle likely covers them. Their stories, not just for the ethnic community, whatever that means, but essays, reporting, and audio for anyone interested in food, dating, or death. Chantal Berganza is the managing editor of The Ethnic Isle, as well as a digital editor for TVO. Before that, she was an associate editor for JSource. She'll be with me in a few. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Kelly Tohill, J.D., Linehan, Chris Oliveros, Andre Girouard, Chris Lloyd, Julia Nadeau, and Scott Kelly. Scott, why did you decide to support Canada Land? 
Because it feels great to be a part of something that exposes hypocrisy and corruption while keeping us informed. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen... I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode of Candleland is also brought to you by FreshBooks, the painless billing solution for cloud accounting. FreshBooks makes it very simple for journalists, freelancers, small business people, and entrepreneurs to send invoices, track your expenses, and do your taxes. You can use FreshBooks free for 30 days by going to freshbooks.com slash Candleland. If you do decide to become a paying customer, tell them who sent you, and you will be supporting this program. Thank you to FreshBooks. And a quick... Clarification of sorts. On last week's show, Chandler Levac told Jesse Brown that journalist Jonathan Goldsby once, quote, formed a blog where he called her a public masturbator for writing about herself. Jonathan Goldsby has gotten in touch with Canada Land to point out that he made that comment about Chandler on his pre-existing blog, and he didn't form a new one just to make the comment. Canaland is super sorry about that, Jonathan, and thanks for setting it straight. And if you like drinking and podcasts but together and live, you can come to the live podcast performance of The Imposter, Canada Land's brand new arts and culture podcast. It'll be at Toronto's Bloor Hot Doc Cinema on April 20th at 8 p.m. You can get tickets on the Bloor Hot Docs website. There will be comedians, live music, featured guests, and booze. A lot of booze. Okay, so when did this publication start? When did you guys launch it? Um, Denise Balkasun and Navneeta Lang, uh, two friends of mine, started the publication at the time. I think I was in Montreal, so I wasn't around for this. But in 2011, they were, 
you know, having coffee one day and I think just talking about things that frustrated them about the way that news in Toronto is covered, questions that often don't get asked or answered in very odd ways um, when it comes to who's living in the city, who gets represented, who's covered um, and how they're covered. So they started a blog that went along for a couple of years until last summer. The people who had been contributing to it for some time at that point um, decided, you know, we asked people to do work for us all the time for free. And maybe people would be interested in, I don't know, paying people to do this work. Mm -hmm. So we had a Patreon campaign. It did so well. And we actually asked the OAC for funding, which turned out okay, too. People were just like, you know, here's some money to continue doing what you do. And so now it's its own dedicated site. Um, We're able to pay people. And I don't know, think longer term about the future, I guess. So you guys cover a lot of communities that uh, I think generally aren't covered by mainstream media. So what do your pitch meetings look like? So, for example, the last two times that Ethnic Isle had um, an issue, there was an issue that was published just last month, now that it's April, uh, the blood issue. And then in September, um, Ethnic Isle had the Canada issue. So in both instances, we published a call for pitches. People emailed us the volunteer editors for each issue because it does rotate and it changes with each issue um, we'll go over the pitches um, looking for the ways in which the people who are pitching us engage with or think about the theme that we're talking about so for example because blood I guess is most immediate in my mind um, the successful or the people who pitched us with like the most interesting ideas would talk about blood in a way that wasn't just about when you think about the intersections of race, ethnicity, and identity and blood, you know, family line, family heritage, bloodlines, those are very important conversations. But then you'd also get um, people talking about animal sacrifice um, in, in the GTA Islamic community and how that gives rise to a slaughterhouse industry that exists in Ontario that I'd never been aware about before and hadn't really seen covered. Something that actually got the most response from that issue, um, Pam Palmater did an excellent essay on Canada's continued practice of um, legislating indigenous, indigenous identity through blood quantum. Canada is the only country to continue to do this um, today. So Yikes. there are laws that determine, you know, if you are um, half a quarter whatever other fractions, um, if you're a man or a woman, I believe that there might be a difference as well. But um, this came across as a surprise to a lot of readers. I'm really proud that, you know, Ethnic I was able to publish that. It was really good. Well, you guys just did a big, a big rebrand, right? Like the site just got a big, beautiful redesign. And now you're you're doing themed issues. So where did blood as a topic come from? Because I would have I feel like I would have never thought about that in the context of anything almost anything just never think about blood (laughs) just i don't think about Um, blood it it does make a lot of people uncomfortable and a lot of the things that come from it make people uncomfortable so blood can mean violence blood can mean um genetics and when you come when you start talking about you know the intersection of genetics and race that becomes a very disturbing history of conversations that you know science has had a bunch of baddie ideas about um well every i mean lots of people have bad ideas about that like it's a dicey conversation to have yes but also family, heritage, food, art, any one of those things can s- turn into a very interesting conversation about um, any one of the things that Ethnic Al typically talks about. The blog's in English. 
So I'm kind of uh-huh. curious about who this is for, right? So who, who's the audience for The Ethnic Isle? One question that often gets asked of stories and may not necessarily always be answered in the stories that are published in the issue or in the issues um, is how does this affect readers in the GTA, readers who are um, interested in stories that cover a Toronto that isn't typically seen? Well, I mean, it um, seems to me that it probably relates to like the first generation experience. Because uh-huh. I think overwhelmingly like first gen kids speak English mm-hmm. fluently for the most part. Uh, and they are the ones who are thinking and talking about identity, uh, certainly more than their parents. Like I don't I don't think my dad's like sitting at home being like wondering what, what does it mean? <laughs> like what does my brownness mean? Like he's just like just waiting. <laughs> just waiting, waiting for, for, for death, probably. Waiting for death. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I think that would be my guess about who it would speak to. But I wonder if you guys have like a, a, a large white audience who reads these stories because they're not getting those stories from other publications. Um, I can't quantify that. But what I can tell you is, um, I don't know if it was the first or the second year that Ethnic Isle started doing themed issues um there was a white issue i wasn't i wasn't there to put that together but um my understanding of the reasoning behind it was to talk about the construction of whiteness or you know whiteness as a construct um as something that has changed over time and um has grown to include people who have not necessarily been identified under that descriptor in the past say, 100 years? Um, And what effects does that have on the balance of racism? Mm. That issue continues, or for the longest time, was actually the top traffic, which I always found found kind of funny. I mean, not to say that it wasn't a great issue. (laughs) But, um, yeah. Yeah. I have a question about uh, the terms we use when we talk about press largely run by non-white people. Because I feel like we hmm. taught we call it like ethnic press or we call it like we we've, we've given it this name as if it has specific appeal to a certain group of people and it sort of stays over there. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if you have the same feeling about it, because I, I always sort of bristle because it kind of tells me that what might be important to my parents, for example, mm-hmm. is irrelevant to apparently whoever's every, everybody deciding else, yeah, to everybody, everybody else, else in the country. Yeah. I really struggle with the term ethnic anything. And I think that's why um, the ethnic isle has the name it does, because it's just it as a term, it doesn't do enough. Yeah. Um, what, what do, like, I don't really I'm not totally sure what it means. Neither am I. Like, it's generally I mean, applied to people who aren't white. I don't know when when say, for example, when you bring up the term ethnic media like I I, one conversation I see a lot is oh the ethnic media in Canada is actually flourishing and these are newspapers for newcomers to Canada who that aren't in English and um, these publishers you know aren't closing newspapers at the same rate that Mm -hmm. this mainstream industry is okay so what does that mean and what does that say about that readership well it seems Um, to me that I think one of the big differences is that they do news stories and mm-hmm. you guys are talking about concepts or ideas or larger pictures. So that, I think, is is one of the big differences. But also a lot of those, I'm talking about newspapers, a lot of those newspapers aren't in English and might speak to a different part of your brain. Uh, there are a lot of words that I think often get resorted to, and I find myself resorting them to, the, to them because um, we don't really have a great vocabulary to talk about specifically what we mean. So... 
Yeah, there's ethnic media. There's diversity oh, when it gets my discussed. Fa- my favorite oh, is diverse yeah. <laughs> voices. Like, Div- what the hell does that mean? Yes. <laughs> like, it was, doesn't mean anything. It can sometimes mean things or people can, not, can say it in a way that ends up meaning something mm-hmm. that might actually be somewhat harmful. I, yeah. I remember being at an event sometime last month where Hannah Sung was on a panel and she had mentioned, you know, in her working life, people have singled her out to ask a question or to get her opinion on someone as a diverse person. Yeah. What the hell does it mean to be a diverse person? And I'm sure that many, you've probably had this happen to you. I don't know. I've seen this happen where um, someone just gets consulted. I think it really just means non-white. Oh, yeah. It really just means I'd like to hear some answers from you as someone who might have a perspective different than mine simply because you're not white. And that very well may be true, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's oh, yeah. all or, yeah. I mean, it seems to me like it's it, those all those terms, and I kind of just put them in the same bucket. Uh, and somebody else said something to me the other, the other day that I thought was really interesting, that calling it the black community is ridiculous because it's not like they're at like a community center at the same time all the time <laughs> talking about them over there. Like they're black people and they are pretty diverse unto themselves. And that's something that we also say. So all these terms that we use are with good intention, but the execution is always so flawed because we have no idea how to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And they're also often in the context of media. And we like we so often throw around these terms when we're trying to hire non-white people and we say, like, well, we're looking for diverse voices or we're looking... People who represent like, what Toronto actually looks like. And I imagine it's difficult because you do, if you are, you know, the person in the room who is... <laughs> who is quote unquote diverse? You do want to be in the room, and you would, I would imagine, probably prefer someone consult you about something so you can either stop them from doing a very bad idea mm-hmm. or you can help them. Like at the same time, it's difficult to try to to explain, like, what is the right way to talk you to me. You want to always like have that responsibility, mm-hmm. though. Yeah, oh, it's not yeah. your job. Like, no one wants to feel like it, like it's your job to like educate. <laughs> white people about how to talk but or like, be someone's google right oh that's the best i love that so much i've just started to make things up so we've we've been talking about how so often people will come up to non-white voices or women or you know whomever in newsrooms and get them to be an authority on something or they'll assign them something because they think they have some like <laughs> some cosmic knowledge about it because they're brown or whatever so I'm curious if you've if you've ever been assigned something like that or what was the first thing you were assigned like that where you realized what was going on? Um, this wasn't necessarily an assignment in terms of uh, a story I had to work on, but I did once work at a place where for the first little while, um, some I must have at some point in a job application or somewhere mentioned that I do have rudimentary Spanish knowledge. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not... This is not false modesty. It's rudimentary Spanish. <laughs> Maybe it came up in a conversation at some point. I don't know. But um, for a little while, my I was I was called Carmen, um, <laughs> and I was asked at one point. Wait, wait, to, wait. like Car- <laughs> like Carmen said, did you wear a big hat and a trench coat to the office? Um, because if so, <laughs> I'm not on your side. I would call you that too. Could I pass off for Carmen San Diego? Is, no. Is Carmen San Diego like First Latina? Where's she from? <laughs> I'm like 90% sure she's actually white and she has hair down to her ass and I don't think she has oh, a face. Man. Yeah. She wears a big hat and a trench coat. I don't remember that show other than that. I'll try that as a Halloween costume one day. Think about um, it. <laughs> but anyway, um, 
so that was a thing that happened. And at one point I was asked to um, not necessarily translate, but get some people in touch with um, police authorities in Mexico for a story another reporter was covering. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was happy to try, but that wasn't really necessarily something um, I was totally comfortable doing, especially because, I don't know, you know, in rudimentary Spanish, asking uh, Mexico city police authorities you know where where is your department that can talk to me about like this this recent murder i just yeah yeah i had an editor who would only assign me stories about india and and would would assign them and thought that i had any (laughs) knowledge about the she was assigning me stories about the south about uh, just like southern cities in india Mm -hmm. and my family is from one of the most northern parts like it snows there like that's where we're from and like she kept coming to me and asking me to to look at things or to like she'd give me clippings from other magazines and be like isn't this interesting i'm like no i don't know. what 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 yeah where? and uh, like i and she'd want me to call people and i i would cuz that was that was my job i was fine but then she would ask me if i knew people in the area and i'm like who like there are so many people. In that you got some. Yeah, can you can you hook me up with a source? Do you know? I do love you know some that people. One. In, I love in, that yeah. one. Do you know? I got I got that all the time. Or like so I would get this from. Uh, this was always white dudes who I'd meet at like bad industry events. Like there would always be like drinks organized every few weeks in Toronto. I'd meet these dudes, and then like a few weeks later, they'd be like, "I have to write a story about Sri Lanka. Do you know anybody there?" And I'm like. Okay, Ooh. that's never happened oh, to yeah. me, but that, that sounds one. very frustrating. It was annoying. But again, this is where giving them false information becomes a real delight. Can't recommend it enough. Yeah. I think I told him that I knew um, that character from Street Fighter and then <laughs> hoped, hoped for the best. I mean, part of that issue then is that there are a lot of writers, I think this is particularly true of younger writers who are only able to get pitches accepted if they write about being that authority on that race or that ethnicity or that identity. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but I mean, I like, I don't know what the solution is because I guess for them, it's either you do it and you can get some work done, you get paid or you don't. And then maybe, maybe or get paid very little or little. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's ways in which I can see it can be damaging a, because um, a lot of publications rely very much on this kind of content don't pay very well and can ask of writers to, you know, divulge some really personal stuff or get into, say, I don't know, things about their lives that they would otherwise never write about or would take some time to write about or maybe even, um, I don't know, turn into something a little bit more far reaching as opposed to the scope of one person. Well, I was going to ask because the ethnic aisle is about ethnicity and race and identity. So when you get writers coming to you, do they often sort of fall into that same trap where they talk about themselves or their identity within the context of of the world and then they don't look outside of that? And then do you sometimes oh, have to yeah. help them? Um, to be honest, a lot of the, the grand majority of the essays that were published on the Ethnic Island in its first few years and still now still come from a place of being first person. A lot of them are. Um, even the most recent issue, I think every single story has some kind of personal 
aspect to it, except for, say, a podcast on adoption, which we have people talking about their experiences, but isn't, say, a first person. um, Oh, my God, I I hate this term, confessional journalism, confessional essay type thing. Um, And then another one on trends of using blood and cooking in mainstream quote unquote, white kitchen culture. Um, But the rest of them, yeah, they all come from a personal place. Um, Wherever possible, it's encouraged to try to connect that to larger trends. So one person wrote an essay on his life as a pharma guinea pig when he had first moved to Toronto um, and how the workforce that, you know, people who are part of pharmaceutical testing and get paid for it and um, rely on that as a form of income often becomes, um, in some ways, can be very racialized and, you know, the attendant problems that come from that. So that's something that happened to him in his own personal life, but he also talked about it as a wider issue. The animal sacrifice industry one is another example of someone talking about this is the thing that our family does, but hey, it also fuels this industry in Ontario that you probably didn't know about. So yeah, wherever possible, where it's possible to talk about something larger than your experience or something that your experience is um, an indicator of and not just a novel story. Well, I I think for some outlets, it's easy to sort of take a personal essay because then that is like, that is their... uh, the flag. work's done. Yeah, like, yeah. The work's done. We did it. We're good. We got um, a non-white. <laughs> they wrote something about it. It's on the website. <laughs> like, we're done. <laughs> and that's really, that's, it's not incorrect, but it's not great if that's all you're doing. Mm-hmm. It's a difficult balance because when there's someone who isn't white, who writes a first person piece, it's very easy to either say, that's only being written because they're not white and that's why it was commissioned or that's why it was picked up. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's fair. But it's also very easy to say, yeah, let's take it because then that's that's the end of my work as an editor. I can just mm-hmm. take it or as the publisher or whomever. That's all the thinking I have to do. Right? And, and it, neither of those are fair to anybody. Like, I don't think anybody gets anything from either of those perspectives. Yeah. Have you seen stories that have maybe couldn't find a home in mainstream media, I maybe did at the Ethnic Isle. Hmm. I think I came to you guys with my my hair story because I couldn't get anybody else to take it. Do tell. I think it was me. <laughs> I think I, I don't remember this. Please tell me. me. No. So I, did you try to shop a story around about hair? Or I tried to shop one about my arms. I talked to a couple of people, but I could tell that they were white because when I was explaining to them the story, they were like. I don't understand. <laughs> like, okay. And then it be- and then I got really nervous because then as soon as you sort of feel like maybe your editor cannot begin to grasp where you're coming from, then you're like, maybe this just isn't the right time. And it's not it's not a failure in any part. Like I don't expect every editor to understand the vast experiences of every single person who lands in their inbox, but it just I couldn't and I it was new and I didn't know what I didn't want that to be like a weird thing I would do really early this was also I was as well like worried about the confessional journalism phase because remember everybody was like it will you're worried about this yeah so this is something that you were told to be or just learned to be worried about yeah right out of journalism school about like writing about yourself Mm -hmm. oh god yeah journalism Mm -hmm. schools like do not tell you to write about yourself you know I did have a couple of profs who were really thoughtful about discussing the concept of first person journalism and 
Well, it was always explained to me as as in the context of uh, reporting and making yourself a character in your reporting, but not as telling a story about yourself through yes. your lens. Like that, I don't because, remember ever being discussed because yeah. that was like, it will follow you around until you're dead. Like that was the tone. Like you will never escape this. If you're like, <laughs> what, what am I doing? You'll be trapped yeah. forever. So then I went to you guys. It worked out. Yeah. Anyway. So does that story follow you around today? Was... No. I'm over it. <laughs> You're over I have it. other problems to deal with. There are 4,000 MRAs on the internet who'd like me to fall into a ravine. So that's usually more pressing than people's thoughts about your thoughts about your hairy arms. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't really concern me anymore. So the ethnic aisle is, is pretty GTA centric, right? Mm-hmm. So do you think that there need to be more ethnic aisles outside of Toronto across the country? Yes. Why? Yes. Um, there very, very well may be people who do this work outside of Toronto. And there are. Um, there's New Canadian Media, um, headed up by a man named George Abraham and a team of um, advisors, journalism professors, news editors who have a news organization that does actual news. Like, the ethnic aisle isn't news. Um, new Canadian Media is. And they run their operation on the premise that their audience is newcomers to Canada or second generation. Well, I wonder if part of the issue is that because there are so many cuts in media, inevitably, uh, that the things that get cut first are things that might relate to non-white voices. And so those are the resources we lose first. Or the people who get hired most recently. Yes. If your job is to cover uh, immigrants to Canada, that might be something that they will cut before, say, the business section. As a beat. yeah, Right, as a beat. Um, and then also people who who are stationed outside of Toronto. Let's talk about Ethnic Isle. So, um, what's its role maybe now? Because when it launched, it was it it was it was coming from a place of maybe frustration about what wasn't being covered. And I think in the last five years, it's not perfect, but certainly we talk way more about mm-hmm. ethnicity, race, and identity than we were five yes, years ago. Things have changed. So I wonder what the what the role of it is now. Um. You know, another indicator of how things have changed is even just the way that the name is viewed. Um, I don't know if five or more years ago, in a wider sense, the idea of an ethnic aisle in a grocery store would have been considered an odd thing. And I'll be in a grocery store, you know, shopping today, and I'd, you don't see the ethnic aisle in grocery stores no, anymore. anymore. So maybe that's another indicator of how things are changing. Um what I think that the ethnic aisle does really well is, or at least strives to do really well, is have people tell stories that may or may not come from their own personal experience, but speak to a way of being in Canada and the GTA, just by definition of being a GTA publication, um, being of here and in some ways not being of here and how that affects the way that you see the world, that you share stories and how you value the stories of others. I know that's vague, but... It definitely seems to come through when people pitch stories, um, when they talk about why their experience or why an experience that they've seen widely and never gets talked about matters to them and has mattered to friends of theirs. And they never just see reflected in mainstream media. That's our episode for this week. Hope you enjoyed it. You can find me on Twitter at Saatchi, S-C-A-A-C-H-I, or at BuzzFeed Canada. Or you can find us on CanadaLandShow.com. Chantal, where can they find you? On Twitter, I'm Chantal Braganza, full name. 
Do you want me to spell it out? I want you to spell it out. C-H-A-N-T-A-L-B-R-A-G-A-N-Z-A. The next episode of Commons comes out on Tuesday. I'll be back with the next episode of Shortcuts on Thursday. This show was produced by Jane Litvinenko and Katie Jensen. If you like this show, support us. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's gonna get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.